We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2022, the Masters, DraftKings picks, player by player breakdown. Yeah, we're going through, well, probably not the entire field. We don't need to talk about all those olds at the bottom, but all the people that matter, the players in the field, we're going to be talking about them, the pros, the cons. Remember to smash the like button to the episode. Give us the player in the comment section that you think that Rick and I are the most wrong about at this year's Masters and sub to Mayo Media Network. Better yet, you want to get into a draw for some Masters swag? You've been seeing it on the show all week. If you sub to the newsletter on Tuesday night, I'll have the pictures, I'll have the sizes, and I'm giving away three of those items, and it's first come, first serve for whoever wins. But I got a polo, I got a sweater, a Masters hat, all from the official Masters store. All you need to do is go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, and review the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Five stars, make up something you enjoy about this show. You don't need to believe it. Just say something nice. And then leave your Twitter handle or email at the bottom. And boom, you are in the draw. Feinberg and I will be giving away those winners on next Monday's show. The Masters Recap and the Heritage. I love the Heritage, but we're not here to talk about that right now. Live chat. 
noon Eastern time on Wednesday with Tambo. Bring your questions. We'll be saddled up. We'll be here. And again, the newsletter is coming out every single night, so go do that. And finally, the gigantic major season one and done. We need your help to go fill that. Only two days left. It's $100 to play, $10,000 to first place. You make one pick per week. Can't use the same guy twice. Starts the Masters, runs through the Open Championship. Hit the description and go find that right now. And whether you live in Ontario or not, as most people in Ontario know as of now, that Daily Fantasy, specifically DraftKings, is either gone or going away very soon and you won't be able to play. I put two links down in the description of this podcast and this video. So I'm working with the team that's for lobbying and getting DFS back in Ontario. We need your help. The more people that can email, contact your local MP, even if you're not from Ontario, just send emails anyway. They'll think you're from Ontario. It doesn't matter. The more noise we can make about this, the sooner it's going to come back to Ontario. It's a big prize pool. So even if you're not from there, you want those fish back in. People like Jeff Feinberg, you want him to be able to submit entries so you can take his money, right? So contact your MP. The links are down in the description right now. Rick Gaiman from the Rick Run Good YouTube channel, rickrungood.com. Wouldn't it be a bummer if you couldn't play DFS anymore? It would be a big bummer. Uh, I have just trying to be get up, getting up to speed on, on what's going on with the, the guys up in Ontario. Jeff was giving me the breakdown. I don't know if I got the accurate uh, statement, the accurate facts, but yeah, it's kind of it's kind of garbage. I hope, uh, hope we can get it figured out pretty quickly. Yeah, so both those links are going to be down in the description, so I highly recommend that you go do that to help out the people who want to play on DraftKings in Ontario. But we can still talk through the entire slate. And people can use this for betting purposes, for fantasy purposes, for pool purposes as we go. Player by player, we're going to start at the very top with the number one player in the world, Scotty Scheffler. There he is, $11,000. Looking at his projected ownership right now, and he's going to be one of the lower owned above $10,000. That's not to say that he's going to be low owned. He's going to likely be in the double digits. If you're looking for ownership projections, highly recommend that you go to fantasynational.com to see the real-time updates, along with the simulator, the stat research, the lineup generator, everything you could possibly need to get yourself prepped for the Masters, and fantasynational.com slash mayo will get you 20% off. It'll be eight bucks for the week. Yeah, you should probably go try that right now. Also, down in the description. Hit that up. What are we doing with Scotty? Because he comes in with three wins and five starts, two top 20s and his two appearances at Augusta. I'm thinking about it for DraftKings. I'm not there yet, though. Uh, yeah, I'm quite warming on Scotty as the week goes on. Obviously, there's a lot of volatility in kind of ownership projections and sentiment over the course of the week, especially when you get a major championship where the pricing comes out so early like we did this week. And then, of course, you throw in the fact that he's probably the hottest golfer on the planet. You get takes on both sides of this. And in my first initial projections run, I had Scotty at like 18%, now much closer to like 10 And I think when you realize that the pricing for this week, as it always is in major championships, it's really soft. Like, spending $11,000 on the most expensive guy who is clearly clicking right now and has back-to-back top 20s at Augusta National. Like I I'm definitely warming on this the further that we get into the week. We know skill-wise he can most definitely do this. Do you think that there's anything to what Feinberg had mentioned to me that first-time major champions below 20 to 1 so rarely happen? Spieth, Day, Rom, DJ. That's been it since 2014. 
no, because we're also kind of in like a historic, like when you win three times in five starts, there's nothing that like books have to make you fairly short. They're not going to get burns for a fourth time in six starts. So I, I think a lot of it is, is that it's not like he's been building up to this for uh, 12 or 18 months. It's just a sprint that's going on right now and books have to adjust accordingly. So no, I don't necessarily think that that's a, a real thing to worry about. And um, when you start looking at the skill set, and we'll probably talk about this countless times, uh, the the changes that have been made to Augusta National, not only making 11 and 15 longer, but resurfacing, uh, you know, three of the greens, I, that's going to help the younger guys, the guys with less experience. It's going to start to level the playing field, even just a hair. So I'm, I'm not really worried about that at all for Scotty. So you do mention 15 was lengthened, the par five. Number 11 removed the trees on the right-hand side. Now there's just three single trees that are right there. So you'd probably be pretty unlucky to get stuck behind those. But that's the play on number 11 now is try to put it like into those trees and hopefully you don't get stuck behind one because you actually have a shot at the green, like a, a makeable shot at the green if that's going to be the case this year. Yeah, 11 is always such a beast. And I think uh, I think it's going to obviously 15 yards longer will play a little bit more difficult. But you're right. There is going to be some guys that play it over there and try to give themselves a, a decent look at it. But uh, it, historically, I think it's the second most difficult hole on the golf course. Might be the hardest hole on the course this time around. And with, you know, the weather that we've got going on, uh, you know, this week on Tuesday, they've already shut down the practice facilities and it's raining like crazy. I, I think it plays long, man. I think the scorecard yardage is 7,500 yards and it might play closer to 7,700 yards when this thing kicks off on Thursday. Yeah, it's going to be a daunting task. Would that lean you towards bombers? Because I'm not necessarily in the camp that distance is the end-all, be-all. We've seen too many Masters champions that just don't... They're not Bryson, put it that way, off the tee. Like when Patrick Reed wins. He still had a good driving week that week, though. So when you get your Molinari's near the top of the leaderboard, Patrick Reed, even Jordan Spieth, for that matter, they just need to gain strokes off the tee. But that doesn't necessarily mean distance, right? It doesn't. I think there's. I think there's two paths. One, be a bomber. That that's the one path. But the other one is then to kind of be. I hate to go back to like the Zach Johnson comparison, but like be the elite wedge player because if it is playing long for everybody and the fives, uh, a couple of them are going to be gettable. But like, what if you're hitting wedge into 15 now? Because if you don't hit a good shot on 15, are you going to bring in the risk of water in front of the hole, water behind the hole? Now you're hitting four iron. It like, what are you going to do? I think a lot of guys are going to opt with a, a poor drive on 15 to lay up. We'll see how that goes over the course of the week. So I think you can also get around by being a pretty darn good uh, wedge player. As someone who once rostered Sergio the year that he tried to lay up on number 15 and spun four <laughs> consecutive shots into the water, maybe not the best idea in the world. I'm just throwing that out there. Have you seen the weather report at all yet? Uh, so last time I checked it, Tuesday is a wash, right? Practice facilities basically closed all day. I know there was an idea of uh, potentially rain on Thursday morning. I have not seen recently if that has been updated or what the deal is but i think outside of that potential thursday morning rain it looked pretty clean last time i checked so rain is expected overnight from wednesday into the morning on thursday however it should not affect any of the earliest tea times it should be done by then we know about the sub air system that's under everything it's not just one of those courses that has sub air underneath the greens it has sub air everywhere so they can dry that sucker out as quickly as possible but the wind on thursday and friday is looking pretty spicy here gus up to 25 almost all day on thursday gus up to 30 on friday and then in the afternoon on saturday and sunday looks like the best day of the year ever 
Uh, yeah, that it really does. I think, um, you know, if you the early lean for me, I think the Thursday p.m. Friday morning guys might have the better of it. I think Friday afternoon might get a little bit windy, might get a little bit more difficult, but it's it's strange, right? Because I would normally be like high apex guys to hit into these long irons into the greens. That's what I want. But then when you start adding wind into the mix, you're thinking, oh, maybe it's the low apex guys. So I, I think uh, for an event that has uh, such a small pool of golfers that can actually win this thing, maybe it's 25 or 30 with the wind, with kind of the changes that we're seeing. Maybe we open up that pool a little bit, 30 five guys something like that but i still think the cream's gonna end up rising to the top here i most definitely agree however i think it would be somewhat prudent if you do believe in the weather splits and maybe you just think that you know this might as well be astrology like it doesn't make any sense and it doesn't mean anything honestly if you just never paid attention to the weather and didn't overthink it you'd probably be doing better for yourself because when we start to overthink it, sometimes we at like at the players, for example, I just made the complete wrong decision because I didn't anticipate the tournament just stopping for 24 hours. And that really threw a wrench into my guys' plans to be on the course at the good time. But I was starting to think of a few players where, yes, they can win in ideal conditions, but they wouldn't be severely downgraded in bad, windy conditions either. Because you talk about that Zach Johnson here, it's kind of akin. It's, it's a... It's, it's in the same family as the Danny Willett year where, you know, the winning score plus one, minus six. I don't think that's where this is going to end up. No, I don't think so either. We're going to get enough good weather. And uh, I mean, this course, the, the the fives you can get after, there, there's going to be some decent scoring around here. When you start to talk about um, some of the guys that can do it a lot of different ways, like we're going to get to a couple in a second that that get me excited. But I think that that's, that's probably the smart way to approach this. And I know it sounds stupid, like, oh, give yourself as, as many paths to victory as possible. But there are certainly, um, even without knowing what the weather is going to do and what the wind's going to do, having guys that can get you there a couple couple of different ways doesn't mean that you have to be right on what that forecast looks like continuing with the players the second highest priced player on the board is John Rom four consecutive top tens at Augusta National number one in ball striking over the past 24 rounds number one off the team number seven in power four scoring 64th in strokes game putting of the 91 players in this field at the moment which is not great but fourth tee to green so that's going to be pretty good he's going to be very highly owned not likely to be the highest owned of the $10,000 guys I have a conviction on one player above $10,000 I'm trying to find a, a partner for that player above here. And I think it's going to be John Rahm because eventually the putter's just going to click, isn't it? Yeah, I think uh, the way it's shaping out as we chat right now, John Rahm is like the most fair golfer on the slate. I think the price and the ownership makes complete sense when you look at the constant ability to finish inside the top 10 at Augusta National. That gets you excited. And the only flaw in his game is the one thing that I generally don't care all that much about. And when you look at longer term form for Rom, he's a much better putter. And when I get to major championships, especially when I get to Augusta National, I start to look longer term. And it's scary stuff when you start looking at last 50 or last 100 rounds for John Rom. So um, I'm I'm probably very fair on him. You know, I wish he was a little bit lower owned. I'd be all over it. But uh, I think if you were looking for a solid option, a guy who is most likely to be in the mix on Sunday, Rom's the guy. Yes. And he'll probably be the second or third highest owned above $10,000 right now, likely pushing around 20%. Dustin Johnson is another one that we that would 
most definitely throw into that mix. Obviously, he missed the cut a year ago, but won in the November Masters, second the year that Tiger won, 10th the year before that, and uh, fell off the stairs, I suppose, is what we're calling it, the year before that, and had to withdraw at the last second. We've heard it all week. DJ is trending upwards. He's starting to play a whole lot better. But for a while, and I think that people forget this, he was so carried by his putter through the end of last year. Not so much at the Ryder Cup when he was awesome, but even after that, towards the early part of the season, the ball striking hadn't really come back until recently. Are you buying him on the upswing? Or is, as one of the most popular plays on the slate, someone to leave to the side? Because I'm leaning towards leaving him to the side. Yeah, so I'd almost probably prefer to bet Dustin Johnson in the roster room for DFS purposes just because I think we're going to get to some guys that uh, might be just as highly owned, they're going to be cheaper, or we can get some good pivot options. So I'm not really sure where Dustin Johnson fits into my DFS exposure, but I, in general, like the way that he's playing. He is, uh, I mean, now over a year, one of the better putters that we have on the PGA Tour, and he went through that stretch that you were referring to, Pat, where uh, the putter carried him to a couple of top 10 and a couple of top 15 finishes now that he is starting to hit the ball better and he's got obviously the distance and the driver to be able to use it as a weapon around Augusta National it's easy to be excited but we've got to start crossing some of these guys off and at this price and this ownership I'd probably just rather bet him and 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 move along in DFS there's a chance Justin Thomas is the highest owned player on this slate when you talk to almost anyone who knows things about golf first name out of their mouth Justin Thomas. I'm fading Justin Thomas this week. His best finish at the Masters is a fourth-place finish. And I just worry that he'll... There's another player akin to Justin Thomas that I'd rather go to at far less ownership that I actually think has more winning upside. It is terrifying to not use Justin Thomas. I will state that for the record. But if you have to make the tough decisions up here, I think this is one of the tough ones, and I'm just going the other way. Yeah, so I think everyone's bullish on Justin Thomas. It's just a matter of whether you're willing to kind of eat the chalk or not. Historically, eating the chalk uh, at the Masters and and in most major championships, well, maybe not the PGA Championship, but the the Masters, uh, eating the chalk is generally better here than most places. Dustin Johnson in 2020 won this at like 32% owned or something absolutely outrageous. So um, yeah, I I think I will eventually get to Justin Thomas in a a pretty significant portion of my exposure, but I'm going to know that I've got to get different because he is going to be popular and he should be right i mean even the 21st place finish last year uh like he played himself out of it in one hole he played better than that and he was trending in the right direction i just i'm just such a believer in justin thomas that i would rather uh find other ways to be different than fade him i would be on justin thomas if it wasn't for the next guy on the list who i think is better justin thomas it's my guy colin morikawa winner of two of the past eight major championships No one wants to use Morikawa this week. Maybe it's not anything against him specifically, but they just look at the names around him. They'd rather use them, whether it's the guys above them playing better right now, even the guys below him playing a little bit better right now. Has a checkered Masters history. Two for two in cuts made, a T18 last year, but nothing special. And everything that he does well, he's 17th in strokes gained approach over the past 24 rounds. You're just used to him being number one. So it makes it seem like he's playing really terribly. Although he was great at the match play until he ran into Abraham Answer, and that was just the end of him. He made it through the first three matches without ever being down in a single match. He was second at Riviera. And it feels like every time that we start to doubt Colin Morikawa going into a big event, be it at Riviera last year, oh, can't use him at concession. He wins concession, beats every good player in the world. Scottish Open last year, it's like, ah, dude can't play on links. He wins the Open Championship. I think this is a prime 
buy low opportunity on Morikawa. And I feel like you're going to know pretty early whether he's rolling it well or not, because I think that's really what it comes down to for him. We know that the driving is going to be pretty good. He's not one of those guys that's going to bomb it away, but he's going to be able to control it off the tee. If he can just play normal Morikawa irons, just like Justin Thomas, he and Thomas are the two best in the world at that. Around the green can kind of go either way, but it's the putter. That's a big differentiator for him. It's either really good or really bad. And the fact that he was able to do it at the workday at Mirafield Village and then get to a playoff at the Memorial. I mean, I know Rom should have won, but he ended up in a playoff with Patrick Cantlay. Rolled it well both those weeks. Fast, bent grass greens. This is the shot that I'm taking. I'm betting him to win. I'm just waiting on that better number. Yeah, the best argument against uh, you or for for not using Justin Thomas is the next two. It's the next two guys. It's Kyle Morikawa and it's Victor Hovland at a fraction of the ownership. Morikawa, I'm glad you mentioned the history around Muirfield Village and uh, Riviera because I think those are two generally fairly good comps for this. Riviera is a course that re- likes it likes distance and it rewards kind of those long iron shots that Morikawa is so good with. And then Muirfield Village, of course, uh, I mean Jack took uh, Augusta National as as basically part of his blueprint to to build Muirfield village and we know that Morikawa has had success at both of those places um the other thing that I like about Morikawa this starts to get into the narrative side of it which is a little bit scary for me because I like to be able to quantify everything is that he was asked earlier in the week about playing a draw at Augusta National it's not the shot he wants to play and he kind of got lured into playing it in his first couple of trips here and it seems like this time around he's just going to commit to his shot shape right the way that Dustin Johnson does it hit that little baby fade take what Augusta National gives you play aggressive to conservative targets and try to battle it that way so I feel like he's a bit more comfortable in his own skin this time around and if that's true it is uh really scary for all the reasons that you mentioned and I think too much is made obviously it's an advantage to move the ball right to left off the tee it's one of the main reasons we've seen left-handers do so well at this tournament Riviera would be another prime example of that another course which rewards moving the ball right to left off the tee that lefties have also done really well at, and Dustin Johnson has done really well at over the years too but again this is still a second shot course even if you end up on the right side of the fairway as long as you can shape your iron shot into it you should be fine and we know that when going well he's one of three players in the world who really can't be touched your boy victor's next i don't know what to do with victor it doesn't seem like he's quite as popular i released a poll on twitter earlier today with this entire odds range and i just said pick two of these guys and it essentially went from dustin justin thomas obviously one of the betting favorites it was like dustin morikawa hovland rory cam smith Jordan Spieth, Xander Shoffley, Brooks Kepka, and Patrick and Patrick Cantlay. And basically no one said Morikawa or Hovland. And that's one of the ways that I like to try to gauge ownership in a very covert way. And I found that really surprising. Yeah, I think it is uh, because Victor is generally a very popular golfer. But I think when you get to tougher places or what people perceive to be tougher places around the greens, it hurts his ownership. Now, this, these are the unofficial strokes gained from last year, but it's calculated on the shot by shot basis. He gained like three strokes around the green last year. Uh, 2021 didn't play in 2020, didn't qualify. Think about that. And then, of course, was the low am in 2019. So he's got two years of experience here. Uh, I do have concerns about some of the situations that he could get put into in tight lies with soft uh, ground underneath. That is scary stuff for a guy who can be average to below average around the green. Some of the bailout areas uh, that have been kind of adjusted, and I think lengthening 11 and 15, I think it helps Victor. So when I start to grade all this out, I'm 
Again, probably lukewarm, five out of 10, five and a half out of 10 on Victor. But when we start to owner, uh, fig figure in ownership, he becomes a lot more appealing. Because I think you're right, Pat. It's just like everyone has moved on and spent their $10,000 in a different direction. Just starting your lineups with Morikawa and Hovland means you can essentially eat as much chalk as you want down the board, I think. Yeah, you could play Corey Connors. You could play anybody anybody else you want. You're going to have a unique uh, and differentiated lineup, and you're going to have uh, two guys that have won, I don't know how many times in the last you know 18 months. Yeah, it's it just kind of crazy to think. And I am, listen, I'm one of the people that perpetuates the notion of it's tough for him to win at some of these courses because if he gets it, if he's in a bunker, it's almost an automatic bogey. But the one thing that you have to remember from last year was what he make a triple bogey on the opening hole. He was up there in overall total birdies at this course last year, despite not coming anywhere near the top of the leaderboard. And look, people pointed it out at the Arnold Palmer invitation. It's like, well, if the guy could get it up and down, he would have won. It's like, well, he came second. Like, I don't need him. I don't necessarily need him to win. I just need him to score a bunch of DraftKings points and come in like third place. And hopefully one of my other guys wins if he can't. And I think that is now being held against him, which is kind of crazy to think about from a DraftKings perspective. Yeah, I think people um, exaggerate how bad he is around the green, but also don't give him enough credit for how good he is as a ball striker. Because you're right, we we see you know struggling from the bunkers, or we see him un unable to get up and down, or losing you know eight strokes around the green at Summerlin or whatever he lost. But uh, I mean, he's still in the mix, right? T four at Genesis, T two at at Bay Hill, the Players Championship. He had a top ten there. I mean, the, the the ball striking is so good, it erases a lot of those mistakes around the green, and still gives him a chance to rack up and pile up points so yeah it's just it's weird how he's kind of graded because of the one uh kind of glaring flaw in his game and i think it's because he's normally so popular this happens to xander a lot as well where people just are backing him to win at these big events he's there and then he just falls back a little bit and doesn't win then all of a sudden it's like he missed the cut kind of thing like he didn't play well at all it's just he didn't come through at the end and when you're at this level that really gets held against you versus some of the other players that may be in contention that falter against weaker fields Vic's going up against the best of the best and I think I just unstarred Scheffler and star put a star next to Victor Hovland on fantasynational.com. Slash mayo for that 20% off, by the way. Morikawa Hovland start. Kind of tricky here. Rory McIlroy is the last of the $10,000 players. Been playing really well. Did not play so well last week, obviously, in Texas, but I can't wrap my mind about what to do with Rory either. And this has been a theme all week. And I think it's happening to a lot of us. Just it's really hard to pull the trigger on any of these guys. Rory is Jeff's one and done for the week. I mean, I bet a Valero Masters double with Rory. Now, he didn't win Valero, but doesn't mean he can't win the Masters. I was just trying to hedge against, you know, we wouldn't get a good number to bet him outright had he have won the Valero. He would have been the most popular play on DraftKings, and now people are sort of wishy-washy on him. Do you just go with your gut and say, you know what? Rory has crushed at this course more often than not. He's been playing really good golf for almost the entirety of 2022, Let's just go with it. And the pressure's off with Tiger back, isn't it? No one is talking about Rory winning the Grand Slam. So definitely no one's talking about it. I do worry that the pressure side of completing the career Grand Slam is more internal for Rory than it is external, but he's not going to be asked about it as much and everybody's going to be paying attention to Tiger and every move that he makes. So I, I agree there is a bit of that going on. But yeah, listen, the wetter this is, I think it's better for Rory, right? Just tap into the weapon, hit the driver, carry it a long way. Um, he is savvy on these greens. I know that people think that the, the putter is not very good at Augusta National. He's been a great putter. It's actually like the wet 
edge control that's been his issue. But this is a spot for Rory uh, where when you start considering ownership and the fact that he's just $10,000 where uh, when I consider everything, he's probably like my third favorite play in the 10K range. And we can just kind of avoid all the no- I like that he played last week, Pat. I-, I like that he switched it up and he played last week. I know he missed the cut, but I think I think it might just be helpful to do something different the week before you get to the Masters. I believe the last player to miss a cut before winning the Masters was Miguel Angel Jimenez. I think I have that right. It could have been Angel Cabrera. Now I don't remember. But it's been a while since that's happened. I don't believe that stuff. That's that's yeah, it's, that doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> okay, good. No, listen, you so you don't buy into any of the trends. I mean, it didn't work out. Oh, la- it didn't work out last year because like five consecutive winners only had like thirteen letters in their name between first and last. Yeah, which is of course super predictive. No, <laughs> I I'm a big hater of uh, of said trends. The only one that I kind of like is. Uh, the one that floats around where it's like, what do the guys do 90 days leading into the Masters? And that's just because I think these guys do try to peak at the right time. But no, all that stuff about what country they come from and how many years of experience and yeah, how many letters in their name and what they did they have a a T13 in the seven starts leading it? I I don't care about any of that. I do think that course history does make a huge difference at this course that's it's not so much that a first-timer can't win obviously fuzzy zeller won in 1979 that was the last one zala torres came second last year sung jay came second the year before that spieth finished second in his first ever appearance at augusta national but i do think that there's that like extra two percent that you just don't have the knowledge potentially as the differentiator coming down the stretch where you know what i can just put it up over there and it's going to roll back this way you just don't know that yet and i do think that's an inherent advantage to players that have played this at least more than once yeah, and, and certainly course history to me is is different than trends, but I do wonder, you know, uh, we focus on on Fuzzy Zeller being the last debutante to win, but you just rattled off a bunch of guys who finished second, right? Like if we, ex- if we expanded that to the podium or top fives, I think we would see um, a lot more names that are, are playing well, not necessarily winning. Winning's hard. Winning can be random. Winning can be lucky that are playing well their first time around Augusta National. And I think that actually pertains more to the outright betting market and actually getting across the finish line and winning than it ever would with DraftKings because we're just looking for scoring here. If guys come in second or seventh, that's usually good enough as long as you have the right guys around them, like the players champion of the year, Cameron Smith, who has been excellent at Augusta throughout the course of his career. I know because I bet him every single year and he comes 10th or 5th or 2nd and doesn't get across the finish line. Now... He's like 16, 14 to 1 at DraftKings Sportsbook in order to win this week. I'm not betting that. That's just way too short for me. And I just, I know that he plays well here every year. Maybe I should just continue to go with it. He's going to be either the most second or third highest owned player in the DraftKings Millionaire Maker this week. That goes without saying based on the run that he's on. Tiger Woods is still the only player to win the players and masters in the same year. And when you rely so much on just making every putt, I just, I don't like backing those guys. I just don't. Can you talk me in or out of this? Because I want to be out. I really do want to be out. I'd prefer the outside as well, Pat. It's just um, I have to pick and choose which chalk that I eat. I think I'd prefer to eat JT uh, at the top if I'm going to do it. Spieth, or excuse me, Smith is just kind of in an awkward spot. And um, for me, the longer this plays, which I think it's going to play long, I think it hurts him. And you're right. The reliance on the short game, which he's proven he can do, but the reliance on the short game is kind of 
it just makes your path to success a lot more narrow. Uh, so when I start looking at guys that we're going to get to in the $9,000 range or ways to allocate my salary cap up above Cam Smith, he's just kind of in an awkward spot for me and he ends up being a, an X. I don't know how we can quantify this or if it matters at all, but there's two things really working against Cameron Smith with the pairing that he drew at the Masters. One, he's playing with Bryson. That just doesn't sound fun whatsoever. And two, he's playing in the group in front of Tiger. So there's just going to be a lot of but. How many people do you think are going to be following around Tiger versus following around the Smith and Bryson group? Uh, all of them. Yeah, I mean, no, they'll they'll be like they'll catch glimpses of those guys because um, they'll be waiting for Tiger to come through. So they're going to be moving all around, trying to get situated for when the next group comes through. It it is a real thing. You hear guys talk about it all the time. You know, we'll get to Joaquin Neiman eventually, but that's someone that I I kind of liked this week, and I hated to see that he's paired up with Tiger. It's just a, it's just a three ring circus. You're already seeing it on Monday and Tuesday in these practice rounds. I mean, it's just it's bonkers what's going on out there. So yeah, we'll we'll never be able to quantify it, but um. Man, if you have to break ties, it is a bit concerning. Yeah, I'm going to break a tie that way. No Cameron Smith for Pat Mayo in DraftKings, Millionaire Maker. This week, there will be tons of Jordan Spieth, though. Let's go. I wish I hadn't looked at the Valero stats, Rick, because it's just making me want to buy. I still have a bullet to fire in the outright betting market at the very top of the board. One of the top 10 guys. I'm going with Morikawa. I'm just waiting on the better number. But I still see Jordan Spieth 22 to 1 lingering out there. And all I have in my mind every single year is just the Bart Simpson on the chalkboard. Do not fade Jordan Spieth at the Masters. And I'm just not going to do it this year. I'm going to play Jordan Spieth. I'm thinking about betting Jordan Spieth. I don't know what's happened to me. Well, who have I become? Yeah, this is uh, this is dangerous, Pat. Don't don't step into that. I, I'm I'm kind of I don't know if I'll bet him, but I think I do like him for DFS purposes. I mean, you start looking at the metrics. Uh, is he gaining a ton of strokes on approach? Not really, but he's gaining every single week. And then of course he has the monster Sunday round at the Valero, and he ends up gaining six strokes over the course of the week at that event. The the huge concern, obviously, the flat stick. I mean, it's been horrible, which is crazy to say about Jordan Spieth. So really what we're asking is for Jordan Spieth to putt well at Augusta National. Like that's the the gap that needs to be plugged. That's the leak that needs to be plugged. And if that's the leak that needs to be plugged, I think I'm pretty okay with with thinking it's going to happen when you talk about the nuances and the experience and just like Jordan Spieth is going to putt well again eventually. It might just be this week. And no player has more strokes gained on approach at Augusta National over the past five years than Jordan Spieth. And he was no good for two of those years. So you got to think about that. He still played well at this course even when he was in his biggest downswing. The biggest thing with him on DraftKings, we know Cam Smith is going to be super owned. And we know the next guy, Xander Shoffley, is likely to be super highly owned as well. What do you think that leaves Jordan Spieth's ownership? Because on Fantasy National, it's around like 12% right now. That's up from like 6-7% on earlier in the week. Most people that run the numbers on this stuff don't really gravitate towards Jordan Spieth. Optimizers are not going to spit him out this week, but maybe because Tiger is back, a lot of that sentiment is just going to go towards Tiger. But there was always this weird thing where you can kind of add like five, six ownership points to Jordan Spieth at the Masters just because it's the Masters and it's Jordan Spieth. I don't know if we're going to get that this time. You love to talk about the sandwich pricing. He feels like he's sandwiched into low ownership here. 
Yeah, it is kind of super awkward because we'll get to like Brooks Kepkin. We'll get to those guys at the at the bottom of this range too that are and it's not like you have to choose necessarily between Tiger or Speeth, but I think what a lot of the the general public does is uh like they're gonna have one of them in their lineup and I think they're probably just going to opt for for Tiger instead. And um, you're right. The the numbers people won't really ride Spieth as well. I've met like nine and a half percent right now. That's going up. But if it finished it at like 10 or 11, I'd, I'd, say, I'd say that feels about right. I don't know if he gets the natural Spieth bump this time around. Xander's next. I initially, when we did the Millie Maker pick show with Raza and Tambo, which you can always just go check out, flick back after this show on Mayo Media Network or the Pat Mayo Experience podcast feed, which again, rate and review, five stars, help us out. I really need those ratings and reviews. I'm giving you stuff from the Masters store in order to do it. Hit the link down in the description, people, please. Let's get on your iPhone. Boop, five stars. Easy stuff to do. Help us out over here. I liked him. Because I figured most people would be off him. And then I kind of made the case that everyone's going to think that everyone's off of him. Then everyone's going to be on him. And he's going to end up being one of the highest owned guys. This exact situation played itself out at the Players' Championship like three weeks ago. It's going to happen again. Pretty sure Xander's going to be one of the highest owned guys. With good reason. He's been great at Augusta over his short career. And he's been a lot better than I think people imagine in their minds over the past three months. I'm starting to think this is going to be a fade for me right now, though, because because I've talked myself into Spieth. So I think you've I think you've assessed the situation accurately. <laughs> I, I think the the next two guys, Xander Shoffley and Patrick Cantlay, I think this is kind of a grab bag of what you're looking for. If you're looking for a higher owned, safer guy who is more likely to finish T12. Xander's your guy. He's been great. He's been phenomenal. There's no knock about his game. If you'd prefer the lower owned, higher upside, maybe he misses. Maybe he's that guy who misses the cut. Like when Paul Casey missed the cut, super chalky a couple of years ago. Like most of the big names are going to get through. The six of six number is going to be massive. But like if Cantlay missed the cut, I'd be 0% surprised. And if Cantlay won, I'd be 0% surprised. So to me, this tier of of Spieth, Xander, and Cantlay, it's, it's more about what you're trying to accomplish as opposed to which is the objectively good play well Cantlay I think almost falls into the same thing as Spieth here where there's such popular plays around him whatever his projected ownership is going to be and I'm seeing like 13% right now I bet you it's lower than that yeah, he's just also not pop. like just like no one likes him. He's just not like a fun golfer to watch. He's not very popular. Uh, I think there are more people who would prefer not to play Patrick Cantlay. I mean, didn't he gain like eleven strokes putting the last time we saw him on bent grass? And aren't we just like three starts removed from him being one of the best players on the world? I don't know. I find him very difficult uh, to handicap. I've been wrong more often than not, at least recently, on Patrick Cantlay, but he is still a guy who gains across the board who can get a white hot putter and i i just feel like he's sitting there and i'm like oh my god is this guy just gonna be in contention on sunday i wouldn't be surprised at all the one thing to look at of anyone's outside metrics coming in his are the most concerning like even at the amex uh it's only two weighted rounds of strokes gained data he lost strokes on approach still came in ninth place against a pretty weak field a very weak field at pebble beach the next week when he had a chance to win he came in fourth lost 2.4 strokes at the pebble beach golf links in only two rounds gained two in a second place playoff loss to scheffler but since then minus 2.3 at the genesis minus 3.3 at the players maybe we throw that out he got in the bad way did not play well at the match play of all all the top players, his form is the worst coming into this. Is that safe to say? 
I think it's safe to say, but I, I kind of would prefer longer term stuff when we get to majors. If you look at the, what I believe are the three most comparable courses, Kapalua because of the undulation in the fairways and the uneven lies, Riviera for what we talked about before, Mirfield Village as well. I, I mean, no one has gained more strokes in as many rounds as Patrick Cantlay, as Patrick Cantlay, 1.7 strokes gained over 57 rounds at those three courses. I mean, there's, uh, again, it's almost like a, I can see both sides of the coin here, which is such a lame take to have, but I, I probably fall more on the one more go around with Patrick Cantlay to see if he can find that long-term form than fading him because I I like the good version of Cantlay that much. And you actually not necessarily get leverage on the field, but you do get a lower owned guy in a $9,000 range that is just clustered with certain pockets of very high owned players. So I'm adding him to the short list. Now I don't know what to do with the next guy is Brooks Kepka, $9,400. He has to be the most popular bet this week at 20 to one. Is that safe? It is safe, uh, myself included. And I think that's just the way I'd, I'd prefer to, to to stick with it. Just get my Brooks exposure in the outright market. He's going to be uh, fairly popular here on, on DraftKings as well. It's all warranted. I think we're getting, I don't have to reiterate what everyone said all week. It's finally a healthy Brooks. It's a major championship, all that good stuff. I've bet him. I like that market better for him. And I can be a bit more selective and a bit more uh, different and uh, contrarian here in the $9,000 range. Yeah, Brooks is setting up perfectly. For Augusta National, it's the first time he's played it healthy because he was most definitely not healthy a year ago. An immaculate track record at the Masters over the course of his career and just keeps getting better and better and better every single week. 20, 20 to 22% ownership? You can eat it, most definitely. It's not an ownership fade. It's just do I want my roster to be a little bit different. If I do like a Vic Morikawa, can no longer afford Brooks. And I do really want to play Zalatoris, who's right below him, which might seem insane to say considering they're so closely priced that why wouldn't you just take the better player in Brooks Kepka? Because I'm bad at this. That's why I do it. But can't play everyone. He's still on the short list at the moment. But... I'm still waffling between him. Hideki is $9,300. I asked Raza about Hideki and what he would do coming off two consecutive WDs uh, that screwed over a ton of people at the players, screwed over another bunch of players at the Valero. Not quite as many, but his ownership's legit going to be like 3%. Because no one wants Hideki to pull out of the tournament three holes in, and they're just stuck there having lit their money on fire. Now, Raza also said that he's not doing it in single entry. He's not doing it in three max. Tambo said the same thing. But if you're playing 150 lineups, why not have some Hideki exposure? But that's not the realm that most of us live in at the same time. I can't justify playing Hideki here, even at 3% ownership. No, I think I think those guys nailed it. A hundred, a hundred lineups. If you have them in six percent of your lineups, you might end up doubling the field by the time this thing locks, and you're only burning six lineups if he does WD. The other good side of that is, um, if there was ever a tournament in which he would try to finish it out. It would be this one, right? You might have been quick to to pull out of the players or pull out of uh, Valero, knowing that this event is coming up. Uh, it's it's honestly a real shame because he's been one of the better players in 2022. But I think when you start assessing how most people are playing DFS, um, he would be way too risky in everything that you mentioned: the single entry, the three max, even the 20 max. It starts to get a little bit hair. If you're playing a lot of lineups, um, you don't have to have much of Hideki to have leverage on the field, and that seems to be the only possible place to deploy him. Plus 240 to miss the cut, which would include a WD, I think. 
Yeah, that's actually quite interesting <laughs> because, you know, there's there's uh, not many paths to miss the cut for the top players, but uh, injury and uh, knowing about the injury, which we rarely get, uh, it's certainly one of the widest paths to not making the weekend. I think I might be in on that. I'll have my to make the super to make the cut parlays revealed on Wednesday's live show at noon Eastern on Mayo Media Network. They'll be available in the free newsletter. One has been going up every single night with more research, updated ownership projections, stats updated betting card hit that in the description or just go to substack.com search mayo media boom you can sub to it get it emailed to you and when you're taking a dump the next morning hey here's something to read it's good stuff you should check it out two titles are up for grabs at the stacked ufc 273 fight card join the action with DraftKings sportsbook the official sports betting partner of the ufc New customers can bet $5 on any fighter and get $100 in free bets, win or lose, guaranteed. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on the excitement. Everyone can play for their share of millions in prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy MMA Contests. Draft your lineup of fighters while staying under the salary cap and rack up points for strikes, takedowns, and more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DOP, throw down $5 on UFC 273, and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code DOP this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. 21 plus, restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Let's take a second so I can tell you about Element, which is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means a lot of salt with no sugar. You're a salt person, not a sugar person, like your boy, Pat Mayo, then this might be for you. Electrolyte deficiency or imbalances can cause headaches, cramps, fatigue, and weakness. When you sweat, the primary electrolyte loss is sodium, and you can lose up to 7 grams per day. When sodium isn't replaced, it's common to experience muscle cramps and fatigue. I've been super dehydrated after drinking a ton of coffee in the morning, going to work out, and not consuming enough water. I was losing electrolytes. I started using Element. All of a sudden, I feel refreshed. My muscles do not get as fatigued, and I bounce back. Element is used for everyone, from moms to NBA, NFL, NHL players, Olympic athletes, Navy SEALs, and exercise enthusiasts. Element is so sure you'll love their product and come back for more. They're offering you a free Element sample pack. That's eight single serving packets free. Just cover the cost of shipping $5 for U.S. customers. Get yours at drinklmnt.com slash mayo. Drinkelement.com slash mayo. This deal is not available on the regular website. You must go to drinklmnt.com slash mayo. Element offers a no questions asked refunds. Try it totally risk-free. If you don't like it, share it with a salty friend and we'll give you your money back. No questions asked. You have nothing to lose. Will Zalatoris. I bet Will Zalatoris to win at 30 or sorry, 40 to one. I want to play him right here. Am I being trapped at $9,200? Because I realistically think he can do this. 
no, I don't think you're being trapped. I'm sure there is a trend about the first win of your career being a major championship. It's probably not, doesn't happen often. Um, but again, I don't care about that. So point for you, Pat. I, <laughs> I think that uh, you lump Zalatoris into the uh, Morikawa, Justin Thomas category, which is he's an elite iron player. He hits the long irons very well. The glimpse of an improved putter, which is what we got at the match play, that, that's the cheat code. That's the secret right if he puts like he did at the match play which was it was good not great but good for Zal Torres is amazing uh when he when he starts gaining strokes on the field so this is uh, a really good kind of perfect storm and perfect timing pat where you know if he had made those putting adjustments six months ago we would kind of probably know already if they were real or if it was an outlier but just one week uh, yeah I I get it I get it we might be on the verge of something here Bryson is up next Probably can't play Bryson. Just throwing that out there. But his ownership is going to be minuscule at this point. It just has not clicked for him at Augusta. And it's really weird because a course that has so much strategy behind it and really managing your way around a course, Bryson's actually very good at that. But is there just something about the moment, how big this tournament is, and how much he might want it that it just gets the best of him here? Yeah, we could probably do an hour-long podcast on Bryson and the Masters. The there, So a couple of things. I, I think I'd rather play Bryson than Hideki because I think Bryson is getting healthier, and I'm not sure what Hideki's situation is. Obviously, uh, spraying it all over the yard the last couple of times that we saw Bryson is horrendous at Augusta National. It's horrendous if you miss left, which is generally what his miss is. I do think that um, Bryson is a historian of the game. It's why he's got, like, you know, the Ben Hogan quotes or whatever stamped on his wedges. It's why he wears the hat. Like, he's a, a, a historian. I do believe he wants this more uh than anything else in the world which is probably not a, a healthy thing when you're when you're in your profession like that um i think there's a pretty good path to bryson having success i wish he was a little bit healthier because i think distance is going to be important the way that his irons are lofted he's going to be coming in from 200 yards and plus with different clubs than everybody else i i just like i like bryson more than most people but it's still not enough to to get any level of serious exposure to him and strangely enough, for someone who is so good on the greens normally, has been god-awful at Augusta National in terms of strokes game putting. Obviously, that can always flip, but there's just something about these greens that he hasn't figured out. A lot of people always said, hey, no green books at Augusta National, therefore Bryson can't putt. He's looked fine without green books at other courses. I don't know what it is here that he can't wrap his mind around, but it's a fade for me. The next guy, I think, is the very first interesting conversation that we can have about history, form, and everything all wrapped into one. Daniel Berger was the low debutante the year that Danny Willett won the Masters. That still remains his best tournament at the Masters. And he missed the November Masters because of the weird qualification rules. But he's gotten progressively worse every year that he's played here. 10th, 27th, 32nd, missed the cut a year ago. And the two comp courses that we were talking about, Memorial and Genesis, he's been god-awful at those courses too. But when you look at the trend lines in terms of past 90 days, recent form, tee to green, everything you would want from a player, even putting on bent grass, which he does really well, that all looks great. So which is it? Is it that he's trending in the right direction, that he's going to play really well and keep this momentum going, or he's just not good at this tournament and every place that Berger is not good at just never play him? Yeah, and I think that, that the fact that uh, the history around here not being great and the history around what we perceive to be some of the comp courses not being great, I think that actually tells a pretty compelling story for Daniel Berger. And I just 
worry that the longer this course plays, and I think it's going to play quite long this week with the the lengthenings and, of course, the weather that we've got rolling in uh, to the area, I, I think it hurts him. Could he pull a Webb Simpson backdoor top 10 like he did in 2020 when that course was wet and soggy all week long and Webb should have never have contended? Sure, that's possible. I, I just would probably prefer to take a pass on Daniel Berger and find him at um, seemingly much better. There's probably 15 spots on tour that are better for him, maybe more than that. Yeah, just play the play next week at the Heritage. Let let that be what you do, and we can bet you to win there at like eight to one or something crazy to like like that. But at least we know he can win at a course like that. Here's something I not just really didn't think I would see entering Augusta this year. Louis Oosthuizen is $8,900, which is pretty cheap for a guy who continuously puts up great performances at the majors, but. Very little interest, 45 to 1. So in the betting market, it's not moving up. It's not moving down. The stats are never really going to look all that good for Louie. And he's a pretty highly volatile player. But this is what he gets up for, major championships. And you know what? $8,900, if he can come in second place, I'll take that. That's going to work out very well for all of my lineups. I expected him to be like 20% owned. He is not. I'd say 10 max, somewhere in that range. That's making me start to rethink my stance on Louie here. He's he's back in the player pool as of right now. He's making the short list. Will you be using Louie? Uh, so I'm probably not as excited as you are just because of he's, you know, losing strokes on approach in four of his last six. The putter has been a little bit erratic. Remember, he was like the best putter on tour last season. So you like to see uh, his ability to roll the rock come into play. But when you start zooming out, like I've talked about before and taking into consideration long-term major championship history, we've seen Louie at a lot of majors and we've seen him contend and finish inside the top 10 at a lot of major championships. So for guys that I'm not as excited about in this price range louis the one that i'd be like okay it would be reasonable for him to pop here will i have a ton of exposure probably not but i i see the reasons why he could be appealing from a like longer term experience perspective he's made nine of the past 10 cuts at the masters has come in second place twice think that might be enough for me unless you can talk me onto one of these guys right below him shane lowry is next and we think about the trend lines that you don't believe in shane lowry actually fits a lot of the positive trends coming into this event. He's just been playing really well in terms of his recent form and you know, different types of courses against strong fields, against weak fields. It just continues to click for him over and over and over. I don't know if I love this course for him, but you know, I, if you had told me that when you tell me that Bubba Watson is a two-time Masters champion, it makes sense now. I couldn't imagine having bet Bubba the first year going into that. Right. If Shane Lowry wins this week, you'd be like, oh, three consecutive top 25s at the Masters and a win. We should have seen that coming. Um, I like the trends when they fit the guys that uh, that I like, Pat. That's the dirty <laughs> little secret here. Uh, you know, if you would ask me a year ago, what type of player is Shane Lowry? I probably would have been like, I don't know. He's kind of like this short game specialist. It's kind of awkward. I'm not sure how often he's going to be able to contend. He's not. I mean, he is such a good ball striker now. He's driving it well. His iron and wedge game is super strong. You look at him gaining basically across the board at Valspar, basically across the board at the players and the Honda. I mean, these are different courses, different strengths of field. I, I, I'm quite bullish on Shane Lowry this week. You're not alone in that regard. Looking at the ownership right now, he's coming in around like 13 to 16% in the millionaire maker. I do like that outright price though at 55 to one at DraftKings Sportsbook. I feel like that's something I can get behind here because I, I have one more bullet to fire in that range too. And it's a 
basically just a mix of like greasy euros that I want to go with <laughs> here. And he is one of the players that if that win does pick up and it's a problem, I think in ideal conditions, he can win. We turn up the wind machine. I think he's probably more live, isn't he? Yeah, as long as he brings his rain jacket. Remember when he melted on 17 at, at the Honda Classic and gave that away? Like, I that was so jarring to me that a guy from Ireland was sprinting out from under his umbrella and trying to hit the ball as quickly as possible in a huge moment. But if I remove that from my memory, uh, and he's a bit more prepared this time around, you'd think the wind and any kind of wonky conditions are not going to be a problem for an open champion. Taylor Gooch is up next. The most mispriced player on the slate is yeah. $8,700 on DraftKings. He is 130 to 1 at DraftKings Sportsbook to win this. So this leads you into one of two things. If Taylor Gooch was $1,300 cheaper, he'd be one of the highest owned players on this slate. Where he fits into the DraftKings pricing this time around, he is going to be the lowest owned player, the lowest owned non-injured player, at least, uh, of the top 40 guys on the board. I still don't want to play him, but I do think that there is a very compelling game theory case to make that, hey, if he just comes seventh, you are dancing. Uh, yeah, and that's that's the side I want to take here. I think I think Gooch is the most fascinating golfer on the slate because of what you just mentioned, Pat. When pricing comes out so early, and everyone's like, "Oh my God, he's at least a thousand dollars more expensive than he should be." Sam Burns is right here. He's won three times in the last twelve months. What are we doing with Taylor Gooch? Like, I I get that. I understand it, and it's driving his ownership down to just as you mentioned the healthy, the lowest healthy golfer on the slate. But look at how Augusta National should set up for Taylor Gooch's making his debut. Well, uh, Gooch is longer off the tee than he is accurate. That's generally fine at Augusta National. He is one of the better kind of iron approach players in, in this frame. And we've seen him uh, be able to avoid three putts. He's high up in three-putt three avoidance, which is always super helpful on these, on these undulating greens around Augusta National. I know he's overpriced. I think I'm willing to exchange that for the very low ownership that I'm going to get on him right now. The issue is going to be that if the next guy, Sam Burns, was going to be really highly owned, I think that would make perfect sense. Just pivot right onto Taylor Gooch. I don't think people are using Sam Burns, though, which is crazy. And the only reason they're not using him, although Gooch is as well, he's a debutant. However, could he win? Why aren't people using Sam Burns? I'm using Sam Burns. The trends, Pat. The trends. The debutantes can't win. Uh, I agree. Gooch, Burns, especially now that Tiger is in, right, officially, he's, he says he's going to give it a go. Uh, whatever Tiger's ownership is, is going to be is going to be way too high. We'll talk about that in a second. But now I love Burns. I love Gooch in this spot. Burns won three times in the last year. Burns is the modern player. He does it on approach. He does it with the putter. He's long enough. Uh, he's kind of chill enough. There's Sometimes we've seen him get a little wild and a little, little loose on a Sunday. Again, you don't need him to win. Just go out there, play well, take apart the fives, putt well. I, I, these two guys, I just could not get more of. It just seems so crazy because Burns is a way better player than Gooch, at least in my mind. The numbers would back me up on that. The wins would back me up on that. What I see backs me up on that. So why just not all the Burns, none of the Gooch? Uh, well, because Gooch is, I mean, Gooch, Gooch can contend, uh, just as frequently as Burns can, right? We have no idea about how either of these guys are going to play Augusta national. And one of them is going to be a fraction of the ownership. And I don't necessarily, um, have to choose one or the other at these prices. I could play both. I could play none. I could play one. I could play the other. I've got a lot of options here, uh, in this range. I love the 8k range for kind of its, uh, leverage, uh, possibilities. 
As the saying goes, don't gamble what you can't afford to lose. With all the high-risk investment options out there today, one of the safest bets you can make with your money is a long-term automated investment account like Wealthfront. The secret to Wealthfront's performance is great software. It's built to make it easy, rewarding, and yes, even delightful to build your long-term wealth. Wealthfront's automated trading optimizes your portfolio based on your own risk settings, helping you reach your financial goals without ever listing a finger. They also get you automatic tax breaks that can boost your returns even when the market dips. Kind of like bonus coupon you can redeem at tax time. To start building your wealth, get your first $5,000 managed for free for life. Go to Wealthfront.com slash mayo. That's W-E-A-L-T-H-F-R-O-N-T dot com slash mayo to start building your wealth. Go to wealthfront.com slash mayo to get started today. Let's do it. Let's talk Mr. Tiger Woods, who by all accounts is going to be playing in the Masters this year. He is paired with Louis Oosthuizen and Joaquin Neiman for his first two rounds. If he ends up giving it a go and... According to him, that looks like it's going to be the case. 8,500 is a really good number. I think that Tiger is going to play well. Win? I don't know about that. I don't want to bet the 35 to 1 at DraftKings Sportsbook right now. I bet him to make the cut two days ago at plus 120. That number is completely shifted as well. It's now minus 120, minus 125. It's going to be minus 200 by the time Thursday gets along. People want Tiger to be good. I want Tiger to be really good. I don't know how this works from a DraftKings perspective, though, because the people that wouldn't factor in, the the blind tiger love is going to show up in the betting market. I don't know if it's going to show up in the DraftKings market. If you had to guess his ownership percentage in the DraftKings Millionaire Maker, in any of the Millionaire Makers, what do you think it's going to be? 7%? I I was thinking 8, yeah. Something something in that high single digits i i i think you're gonna get people who play him right i i could argue he's objectively a very bad play in dfs and i've done the same pat where i've i actually bet him to play about a week ago and then i bet him to make the cut a couple of days ago because i think the most likely scenario is tiger plays well especially the first uh two rounds as kind of the competition rounds start to add up on the body he probably falters a little bit, loses ground on the weekend, all good. I, I think that when you look at the guys that he's priced next to, it's it's almost impossible to play him. And, but there will be a contingent of people who say, it's Tiger Woods, it's the Masters, I don't care about this 20 bucks. Um, I'm playing the guy, and it's probably going to end up being like 7 or 8% of the field. What would be the, if you were to use Tiger in your DraftKings lineup this week, obviously win is what you would want, but what's like a realistic possibility, like upside for him, like T8? Oh, I, I thought I think that's pretty generous. Like, listen, I'm 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 bullish on Tiger, right? I think he's been hoodwinking us for a long it, it, time. It he doesn't it doesn't sound like you're too high on Tiger. I mean, from it's literally just from a DFS perspective that I'm not I'm not super stoked about it. But um, I was gonna say like T17, right? I mean, a T17 would be you play well over the course, of, uh, you know, shoot a 70 in round one. Uh, maybe you make a slot. Like he's gonna probably still be a little bit rusty when he gets into competition. He's gonna make like a sloppy bogey or a sloppy double, and then he's gonna pick up a shot or two with his brain and with his experience, and just like T17, something like that. T14 maybe is kind of where I think the upside lands. Sung J M came second in his debut at the Masters. The November Masters missed the cut a year ago. 
We talked about Cantlay's recent poor run in terms of statistics. Sungjae is even worse at the moment. But a lot of that is being drawn from the Players' Championship and the Arnold Palmer Invitational, two tournaments where you could have got wiped out by the weather, which he did. No one is playing Sungjae. And I don't know if I have the guts to do it, but as we'll get to in a minute with Joaquin Neiman playing in the same group as Tiger, which could affect him a little bit. Is this the move I need to be making onto Sungjae? Like, if you don't use Tiger, don't use Neiman. Is this the perfect guy to slot in? Yes, I loved Neiman until I got the Tiger pairing, which is always so concerning. So yeah, I think this is the natural pivot. You know, Sungjae didn't get out of his group at the match play. He hasn't driven it nearly as good, but we've seen him go through stretches like this before where just for, you know, three or four starts in a row, he kind of loses the driver. He's, he's usually pretty good at getting it back quickly. What I like about Sungjae that people don't necessarily realize is he's pretty stout around the greens, right? We saw that in 2020. And when he gets going with that putter, it can be really, really good. So um, I, I like him as a pivot play. I think that's that's the angle. It's not just like, hey, in a vacuum, is he better than Neiman? I don't think that's true, but I think you get a nice little pivot option. Well, or you can just use Adam Scott, who I have bet to win this tournament. I like where you talk about players peaking and peaking to try to win the majors. It really feels like that's what Adam Scott is trying to do with his early season play. His putting has been off the charts good, which is mind-boggling to me as someone who's been playing DraftKings as long as me and using Adam Scott and watching him miss two-foot putts. He's not good around the greens whatsoever. However, at Augusta National, he has been pretty good over the years. Obviously, he's won the Masters before. The Irons are still really good. It's the driving with him, which is just a complete mystery. It's either really good or it's really bad. He has very few break-even weeks off the tee. I'm rolling with it. I think that Adam Scott can win this tournament. He's 8300 bucks. He should be like 20% owned, and he's going to be like 9% owned. I want all of them. I'm with- I'm with you. The putter's there, experience is there, all that good stuff. When I look at the rest of his profile, and you mentioned it, right? Lose three with the driver, gain two. Lose three, gain two. It's just bouncing back and forth. That's not necessarily a bad thing for me because he kind of does the same thing with the irons. And what you're kind of looking for is a place where those things get married together. And he has a good driving week, and he has a good approach play week, and then he puts it the way he's been putting it. And he's not that far off. So when I look at his profile and see that bouncing around, I don't necessarily necessarily think it's a bad thing because it shows us that it's at least possible and it might be coming that we get like the ceiling week i i agree pat let's let's go on adam scott all right adam scott you can find him as deep as 65 to 1 i got him at 70 to 1 when i put that out two weeks ago but hey maybe he'll continue to drop because it doesn't seem like he's a very popular bet this week but 8300 bucks is a fantastic price for a former winner in good form neiman's next he's 8200 dollars as mentioned he's paired with tiger it's just a fade for me right now. Like, I'm just, I don't know what the metrics are behind it. I'm trying to use my logic on this one. Feels like it's going to be a real tough week for Neiman. It's going to be a circus, man. I, it's such a shame because he's got the good comp stuff. Obviously, one at Riviera has played well at, at Kapalua and, and Muirfield Village and kind of coming into his own as a player. But I, I'm I'm with you. I'm just cooling. It's so hard to play with Tiger. It's so hard to play with Tiger in his first, like, real event back in 17 months. Uh, 17 months. And it's the Masters. Like, it's going to be an absolute circus. And I'm... I just don't think, and and he's not like he was going to be super low owned to begin with. I I just am unfortunately going to have to pass, and it's a shame because I would have loved to have played him. Finau is up next. He of a lot of strokes gained ball striking at the Valero Texas Open. He did come tenth at this tournament a year ago. 
having missed back-to-back cuts in his two previous events coming in. So form has been really weird for Tony, entering the Masters a lot of the time. Remember when he broke his ankle and still finished inside the top five? That happened. Something about this course. Another guy that plays pretty well at Riviera, plays really well at Memorial, and has been very consistent at all three of those courses over the course of his career. I like Scott a lot better. I think I like the next guy on the list better than Finau, but there's something just drawing me to it. Maybe it's the same thing with everything. You see Finau, 8100 bucks. I don't feel like his ownership would be any different if he was $8,900. Like, the people who are going to play Finau are going to play him regardless. But at this price, I think he might pick up way too much ownership. Yeah, and I'm probably more out than I am in. He loses a lot of strokes around the green, and just recently, just two starts as he kind of figured out the putter a little bit, but I, I wonder if that's a little bit of fool's gold. He three putts a lot, which is a little bit concerning. Uh, I think it's a good driving course for him. I just think the closer he gets to the green, I think the worse it's going to get, and you're right. The guy that's coming up next, much more bullish on, even Adam Scott, other guys in the 8K range, um, more, more out than in on Tony. Tyrrell Hatton is $8,000. I am considering a last-minute wager on Tyrrell Hatton. I am most definitely using him on the DraftKings slate at $8,000. He can just get it. He's a lot like Sungjae in a weird way, where he can just kind of do it in many different ways, like at Arnold Palmer Invitational and the players. You know, he didn't really have his best stuff, but putted the lights out. That carried him. Didn't really have that at the Valspar. Struck the shit out of the ball. He was fantastic with his irons. He was pretty good off the tee, and he doesn't really have a great track record at Augusta, but he was inside the top 20 a year ago, and he's another one of these guys that if the wind does pick up, I do trust him to be able to grind out a tough Augusta and still have a chance in an easy Augusta. Yeah, finally had a good result at the Masters last year after a couple of subpar years, but uh, I agree with you. The the He can get it done a lot of different ways. When he's going well, it's kind of the iron game and the putting game, which is uh, usually a high ceiling combination. And then I think people won't realize that um, this stretch of golf that's got a couple of good results at the players and the API and the Valspar, that's been going on all year, right? I mean, he started in Abu Dhabi with a T6, went to Dubai, finished T4, played in Saudi Arabia, T28, probably should have been a little better there in that field but like this is a sustained eight or nine uh start stretch for terrell uh worldwide in 2022 that i think presents a lot of optimism abraham answer withdrew last week from the valero texas open which was going to be a home event for him after playing really well at the match play eliminating my guy colin morikawa when he couldn't miss a putt from anywhere that was fun to watch when you had outright money on colin morikawa either way congratulations to abraham answer but I still don't know what's wrong with him or where he stands in terms of this injury. There's no way I can play him. No, no, I, I agree. He, the, the language that he used, and I have not heard an update since, uh, is that he was forced to withdraw, which I, I, I okay. Um, I will not be playing him. I have no idea about his status. And quite frankly, I, I loved him last week cause it would have been a home game and we saw him play at the match play, but that match play result might be an outlier, right? Like the last like stroke play event on the PGA tour that he played really well was like Maya Coba. So, I mean, I don't think I'm missing out on, on all that much by just assuming answer is not going to play all that well this week. Uh, answer is plus 175 to miss the cut, by the way. So we take, where is he? Hideki Matsuyama plus 240. Abraham, the Mexican Allen Iverson, put them together eight. Eight, well, plus eight three five, so eight to one for a two player to miss the cut parlay. It's not crazy to think about considering both these guys could withdraw. 
Uh, yeah, I agree. That's that's actually a lot better than I thought it was going to be because it's not always it's not just golf related. It's like, hey, he might just not be physically able to go. Sergio was next. Obviously, Sergio has not made a cut at Augusta since winning the green jacket. I'm always intrigued by what Sergio can do at major championships just because his ball striking is always going to be so good. But even recently, like the Tita Green's not great. He's been driving it immaculately. The putter has actually been quite good, but the irons have not. 74th in strokes gained approach over the past 24 rounds. That starts to worry me with Sergio. Uh, if he's missing greens, uh, it's going to be, it could be a rough go if he's forced to make a bunch of seven footers. I'm out. Yeah. I mean, last four starts, uh, minus two and a half on approach, minus one, minus five, minus two. Like, if that's the version of Sergio we're getting, I, I can't be in. And you throw in the fact that, uh, which is absolutely accurate, just been abysmal here since he, since he won. Pass. We can go to somebody else. How about Russell Henley? He's also the same price as Sergio. Uh, optimizers are going to love Russell Henley yeah. this week because anytime you run any sort of stat model, it loves Russell Henley. He hasn't played in the Masters in a while, but did have consecutive top 20 finishes at Augusta National in his previous two appearances. Makes a ton of birdies. Fantastic on approach. Lacks off the tee is probably being generous. He's closer to the Fred Couples of the world than he is to the John Roms of the world with a driver in his hand, unfortunately for him. But he can make it up in a lot of different ways. I think that he'll be popular because optimizers will spit him out. So anyone who's multi-entering, playing 10 to 150 lineups and is using an optimizer, they're going to have a lot of Russell Henley. And that's going to make up a large percentage of the lineups that you see in the Millionaire Maker. But I just like the other players upside. I'm intrigued with the other players upside more. Like, can Russell Henley win? Yeah, sure. Would I be absolutely shocked if he won? Yeah, I would be shocked if Russell Henley won. Opposed to the other guys that are around him, whether it be Sungjae, Scott, Neiman, Finau, Hatton. Ant I mean, answers hurt, but then you have Henley, Sergio, Fitzpatrick, Fleetwood. Hell, even Connors, Casey, Rose, Webb. I would think that all those guys, I wouldn't be stunned if they won. I would be stunned if Henley won, and that's just giving me pause. And I think it's right. I mean, if, if I knew Russell Henley was going to be 7% owned, I'd be a lot more interested. But I think you're right. He's the the advanced metrics darling when you kind of talk about that stuff. But when you dive deeper into the metrics and he loses strokes off the tee and he does it in the backwards way, he's accurate, but he's not long, which is kind of not really an advantage here because everybody's going to be often playing out of the fairway. And I, I just can't get there on a high owned uh russell henley even though he's a georgia guy and i and i like the way he sets up for it but now i don't think it's a good spot how about a player who has increased his distance off the tee over the past few years good at memorial good at the masters good at riviera also going to be pretty highly owned like 13 to 16 percent i'm imagining i'd much rather play matthew fitzpatrick than russell henley yeah, Matt Fitzpatrick has been awesome, right? I mean, he's just been finishing in the top 10 of all the uh, deepest fields and biggest tournaments that we have in golf for 18 months. Like, it's it's really kind of incredible. And he's the kind of guy that uh, I think he is hard to model a little bit just because um, he gains across the board fairly consistently and a bit more on the short game stuff. And you always worry about that. But he puts the ball in the cup. He does it frequently. And if the winds start to kick and, and things get a little bit nasty, I don't, I don't think I particularly care with Matt. 
Yeah, the, the harder the course gets, likely the better it is to play to his advantage. The best finish he has at Augusta was the Danny Willett year with all of the wind, with a low, actually a high winning score. He ended up inside the top 10 that year. It was the best finish that he's had. And he's been consistent at Augusta, but never great at Augusta. And here's the sneaky thing. I know you don't like the stuff with the players' names or anything like that, but you just go back and look at some of the places where he has won in the past. The British Masters, the Omega European Masters, the Estella Dam NA and Lexita Masters, the Nordia Masters, the Omega European Masters again. So he's got Masters in the title. It's a good trend, right? I imagine there is nothing wrong with that at all. I will be locking him into all of my lineups right now. Add another Masters to the resume. It's just going to be a great, great success for him. Tommy Fleetwood up there as well. Uh, he'll, he'll be far lower owned than Matt Fitzpatrick, but I just. No, no on Tommy, not doing it. Yeah, I agree. Tommy's, um, I think the results have been better than people expect, but like some of the places that he's played well, you'd kind of e expect him to play well, right? Like when he gets to Florida, you usually see good Tommy. And I'm like, I just, uh, yeah, I just can't be in on this. I, I'm looking at a longer term form and the only places that I've seen him play particularly well recently are places that you would expect him to. So it's, it's kind of hard to translate that to this event here. So I'm, I'm out on Tommy. Well, let's lump the next two players together because I think that we're seeing the mirror, mirror version. I've always thought of Corey Connors very much in the same vein as Abraham Answer in terms of what their overall skill set is. But frankly, Answer can putt from time to time. Uh, and he's not as consistent with his ball striking as Corey Connors is. Is Paul Casey just the old Corey Connors? Like once Corey Connors learns how to chip just a little bit, he's just Paul Casey, isn't he? Yeah, the, the advanced metrics are, are quite similar for both of these guys. The closer they get to the green, the worse they are. I guess uh, for this week in, in particular, though, there are uh, injury concerns or back concerns with Paul Casey that are not there with Corey Connors. But from a kind of game on paper perspective, they're very, very similar guys. So what do we make? of the Paul Casey back injury. Obviously, he sustained it against Corey Connors on the second hole, yanking two of them into the hazard, and that was the end of him at the match play. He conceded after two holes, conceded his next two matches. We haven't seen him since. He didn't even go to the Paul Casey Open to try to win the Valspar. You know that's going to be somewhat problematic uh, if he's not showing up to events like that, where you know, it's the only place where he really wins in North America. Both poor putters. Casey a better chipper, obviously, than Corey Connors. Corey Connors track record at the Masters like Paul Casey's very very good I expected Connors to be one of the highest owned players on this slate but the almost everything I look at shows Casey creeping up on him and that it's really keeping Corey Connors from being 20% owned he might be like 13 to 15 and now Casey's gonna be like 8 to 12 I'd rather go with Connors over Casey but back injuries are so weird because as someone who suffers from back injuries I can tell you they're all different you don't know how long they last for, and you can have a back spasm that lasts three days, then your back feels fine. If it's not a debilitating back injury, he could be absolutely fine, and we just don't know it. Uh, and that's the risk, right? It's probably too much risk for me. I play a lot of single entries. I play a lot of three maxes and 20 maxes, and it's probably too much risk for me. If I was mass multi-entering 150 uh, lineups into everything, I, I might be willing to take on more risk for the great reward because there's just so much unknown. If you gave me a 100% healthy Paul Casey, I'd be excited. If you gave me 100% healthy Corey Connors, same thing, but it's it, that's not where we're at. And if I don't have um, any reason to think that uh, one way or another on Paul Casey, I'd, I'd 
probably prefer Connors or I'd just skip out on both of them and find somebody else down in this range because I just think uh, for my risk tolerance, Casey's not going to be able to make the cut for me. Is Corey Connors good chalk or bad chalk? Because I happen to think he's good chalk. Uh, yeah, I think he is too because uh, first of all, he's playing great. Right, he's playing great. We know this is a second shot course. We know he's got good course history. Uh, I like the way he kind of set his schedule leading into this event. The way he kind of ebbed and flowed through the calendar and played the. I I really I really like what Connors is doing with everything, and I I think he's fairly good chalk. Web, uh, sorry, Justin Rose is next on the list. I don't know how to deploy Justin Rose, but I actually think he has a pretty good week because that's what he does at these weird events where he just makes every single putt. First round leader bet on Justin Rose. Does that sound right? Yes, that's the one. I'm pulling up the uh, the stat right here. Let's see. He has been the first round leader. Uh, he was first round leader in 2004, 2007, 2008. He sat inside the top four in uh, 2015, 16, 17, and then was the first round leader again in 2021. The way to deploy Justin Rose is via the first round leader wager. I think that's, uh, unless I play a first round showdown, I think that's all the Justin Rose I'm going to have because since Torrey Pines, he's been awful. Can't, can't be doing that, Justin Rose. Webb Simpson. This will be his fourth start back since injury, and he has not really looked good at all. Someone who has a weirdly consistent Augusta track record, but has never really been in contention to win ever. But he's only 7500 bucks, so you're not betting the 130 to 1. You're asking for a good DraftKings play. I think his lack of distance off the tee when we start getting into this range, this is where I want to start targeting bombers and aggressive players to try to pile up birdies and eagles and just hope that the DraftKings scoring ends up higher than the finishing position, and that would leave me off Webb Simpson. Yeah, I, I love Webb, but the situation is um, since he came back from injury, he has not looked like Webb Simpson. And if he is not awesome from fairway through green, it's very hard for him to contend. And I think it's going to be hard for him to make a lot of noise on, especially a longer Augusta National course. So I'm, I'm out as well. It's looking like he's going to garner some ownership too. A guy that will not would be Patrick Reed, who no one wants to use. Former Masters champion, obviously. As Feinberg told me, well, he beat John Rahm in a singles match at the match play. Obviously, he's back. I don't listen. He could be the the low owned guy. He's actually an intriguing first round leader bet as well. Like you can just capture something for one round and get going. But I'm staying as far away from this train wreck as possible. I saw Tiger Woods versus Patrick Reed in a head to head. Tiger was like plus one fifty. That sounded kind of good. Yeah, I mean, like, there's a there's a decent chance Patrick Reed doesn't make the cut, and I know that's kind of freaky to say for a, a guy who's healthy and a past champion and plays all the time on the PGA Tour, but his metrics are horrible. His best finish as of late is that T26 at the players, and he gained nine strokes putting. Nine! If you have to gain nine strokes putting, or if you do gain nine strokes putting, you should be winning Patrick Reed. He finishes T26. There's just so, in my opinion, so little upside to this guy, and it's just all downside. I kind of agree about that and with Bubba Watson next as well. The two-time champ, obviously he can show up, play well. It's one of his happy courses, but all the other happy courses he normally has have not really been going well for Bubba Watson. And people really got sucked in to what he did in that one round at the players when he like didn't miss a putt. And that was like the only good round he's had in three months. So no. 
Yeah, the same day, Justin Thomas, uh, him and Justin Thomas were bogey-free around whatever that was, Saturday or round two with the players. And yeah, that was the magic. And then when things got easier, we, we never saw it again. Um, obviously, the creativity around Augusta National is interesting, but uh, like we're going to get to Mark Leishman here. Like I like I like Mark Leishman more. I'm, I'm not as excited about Bubba Watson. Uh, as it turns out, I skipped Bubba, or I skipped Billy Horschel because I didn't even really want to talk about him. But he does come in at $7,400, not $7,300 like Bubba Watson. You want to talk about someone with bad course history? Billy Horschel has bad course history at Augusta. Yeah, shockingly bad because I think Billy is a lot better than people uh, like will give him credit for. He's got kind of some weird wins with the match play and the European stuff. But um, I cannot play a guy that in this limited field, uh, his last three trips has gone 56, 38, 50th. He's missed two cuts prior to that. His best finish was seven years ago and is a T17. It's just something does not jive well with Billy when he gets to when he gets to uh, Augusta. Mark Leishman, uh, someone who has played very well at Augusta in the past, is Andercurse this week, but that's not reflective of the DraftKings ownership. He's going to be one of the higher-owned guys from down here. I like Leishman. I think playing in the wind is something that obviously he's very comfortable with. He looks very slim these days, too. I don't know what to make of that, but I just it's something you know. It's like, hey, he really got into much better shape than he used to be. But $7,300, a really good price for him. Don't like the 55 to 1 as an outright win. I can't figure out if I want to go with this or do I just sink to the very bottom of the sevens where the Pat Mayo All-Stars live. <laughs> well, uh, I'll make a, a quick case for for Mark Leishman. I, I agree he is fit, and he's, he's driving it longer. He's now averaging over 305 yards. He's 44th on tour. So I like the guys where... They hit it far, far, but like they're not very accurate like Mark Leishman is because I don't think it hurts you as much here. He never three putts, which I think is important. It helps that he's got that great course history. So uh, I'm I'm in on Leish this week. Okay. How about Seamus Power, who I don't believe has ever played at Augusta National before. The one thing I've really noticed with Power's splits and where he performs well versus not performing well, long courses, not really good for Seamus Power. Short courses, yeah, let's go. Beat die courses? Yeah, fire up some Seamus Power at the Heritage next week. No thank you this week. Uh, I agree. He has not played here before, and I agree with your assessment on kind of the course situation. I'll take a pass on Power as well. Kokrak, who, what has he got, Saudi money on his mind? That's, that's Oh, yeah. That, that seems like it all it is right now. It's definitely not the Masters, put it that way. Uh, one foot out the door for Jason Kokrak, who I, I also don't know if it's a greens reading book situation, but has he's one of the biggest losers in putting uh, in differences between 2021 and 2022 in the calendar years. Uh, doesn't have good history and two starts here. I'm out. Are we witnessing a week, Rick, where my guy, see, woo, Kim is going to be one of the most popular plays at the Masters? Yes. Uh, one of the most popular uh, is probably not warranted, but like I get it, right? Like, you know, the the ball striking, the upside. Uh, the, I mean, what he finished here last year, T12. Uh, he is awesome off the tee now and going back for six months. I, I get it. Right. And he is someone that I've had a very difficult time handicapping over the years. But uh, the exciting upside of Siwoo Kim is back, baby. Now, I don't know if he's going to end up being chalk on Fantasy National. I always think that Siwoo Kim is a little bit over owned in terms of the projections. And a lot of that is probably my fault because uh, a lot of people yeah. who use that site are people who found FantasyNational.com slash Mayo for 20 percent off through this show. Uh, looking at you know other ownership projections right now, I still see him in like the 
high single digits. I like bets on him. I mean, I bet him to win this tournament at 100 to 1 with the top eight each way. I bet him to make the cut. I like Siwoo a lot here. I'm going to be using him. And it sounds like you are too, right? Uh, yes, and he's not a guy that I that I use a lot, but when you start looking around and we talked about being out on Kokrak and being out on Seamus Power, and then you've got kind of a bunch of debutantes and flyers, like this is this is the good type of flyer that I want from this range. Max Homa, a guy that I invested in very heavily a year ago, did not go well for Pat Mayo. His next, he is down at $7,100. I like Max, but... His, it's funny, because we think about Siwoo as a first or last Ricky Bobby type player. Homa's kind of that guy too. Oh, for sure. And a lot of it revolves around the putter. Like when he putts well, he usually finishes inside the top 10 or top 15. Now, it doesn't happen as frequently as I'm sure that he would like. And he just hasn't been able to figure out the puzzle that is Max Home or that is Augusta National. So I'm probably like a, a four out of 10. I, I like the guy. I think there's a chance he could pop. I just probably won't be a part of it this week. Yeah, I'm going to sit out on him because I want as much Robert McIntyre in my life as possible. T12 in his debut a year ago. A big hitting lefty who, if the conditions get bad, listen, I'll take a guy from Scotland. It's good good enough for me, I think, that he can manage those conditions with you know relatively few problems versus the rest of the field. He was all right at Riviera earlier this year. He's pretty good at Valero. Last week, uh, we just haven't seen a lot of him because he didn't end up being in the top 50 in the world, so he wasn't at the match play. He was, or he was at the match play. He didn't perform all that well, but didn't get into the Players' Championship, which was really weird. I like him here. I just inherently like lefties at this course, especially longer hitting lefties, not the Brian Harmons of the world, although he's played well here as well. But I don't think people are using Bobby Mack. I'm going to be using Bobby Mack. I can see him being like 3% owned. Yeah, as will I. And actually, the, the good form goes back even a little bit further than, than Riviera because his last two starts in, in February in uh, on the DP World Tour were both top 15s. Yeah, he's a very talented, uh, kind of raw, talented player who hits it far. And there is... There is a little bit of that lefty love, right? It's it's Phil, it's Bubba, it's it's Mike Weir. It's just kind of the angles that you can get and the undulation, the way the ball lies, um, that that tends to help these guys. And you saw it in his in his one start last year. So yeah, let's let's fire him up. Let's go. Luke List is next. Yeah. I'm in. Hasn't been great since he won, right? He's still first tee to green over the past 24 rounds. Oh, yeah. Back to losing. Here we go. So yeah. gains 3.7 at the Farmers. Minus 5, minus 2, minus 7, minus 1.5, minus 3, minus 3. Yeah, Luke List is back. <laughs> oh, man. But he is $7,000. He is not going to be popular. You don't need him to win this event. But his overall tee to green profile is perfect for Augusta National. And maybe being a local kid, maybe he can figure out these greens. And I do always like really bad putters on the fastest greens possible. I do too. He just three putts so often, <laughs> which is horrible. like, and, and like, I feel like he might three jack 12 of these greens on Thursday and like play himself out of this. Uh, we can agree that from T to green, it's awesome. The long iron stuff. Great. Uh, but boy, I'm really worried about what happens when he gets closer on the greens. Yeah. I mean, Sergio's won this Corey Connors like putts. Okay. At this course. I know list is like in a tier, even worse than those guys. Okay. 
Hideki, obviously. Yeah, I mean, listen, Hideki won a memorial. Ben Ann was someone who actually putted really well at Mirfield Village as well. Another bent grass, super fast greens. And, you know, he, he can't make a two-footer anywhere else in the world. I just think that you roll with the, st- the statistical profile of Luke List and just hope he kind of pulls a Hovland from last year where, yeah, he's going to make a weird amount of bogeys when they should have been birdies, but he's still also going to make a ton of birdies and potentially eagles as well. And that's just going to be great for DraftKings scoring. I do I do expect him to outpace his finishing position with DraftKings points, no matter what that finishing position is. And and I, I do believe that this is, this is one of the better uh, probably formats to, to unveil him in. Last one in the $7,000 range is Cameron Young. He is a debutant. Here, a first-time player at the event. Almost like List and Robert McIntyre, I like Cameron Young, too. And the big difference between him and all these other guys, he can putt. Yeah, he's he's like the good kind of bomber who might be a bit volatile. We're still learning about what he is. But uh, if you start to look at the comps, I mean, he played well at Riviera as well. He just absolutely crushes it. Second on tour in, in distance this year. I, I like this a lot more than List and even more than Robert McIntyre, who's someone that I'm, I'm actually interested in. Well, 6K guys. We don't need to go through all of them, but I do want to hit on Kevin Kisner before we go to anyone else. Do you think that Kisner is going to be popular at $6,800? Because I initially thought he would be one of the highest owned guys on the slate, but the projections just don't seem to reflect that, which I find kind of mind boggling. I didn't want to play him, but I thought everyone else would. Turns out that's not the case. Uh, my projections do not reflect that either. I think he's going to be fairly low owned. And I mean, his history at Augusta National is not great. I mean, he could be... Um, you know, that other path that we talked about, which is maybe he get gets hot with his wedges and rolls everything in, that's gonna have to be the way that Kisner gets it done. I I worry about how wide that path is. Is, is there anyone in the six K range who's going to be chalky? Uh Thomas Peters. Really? Oh, sorry, Gary Gary Woodland too, I think. Yeah. Oh no. Thomas yeah. Peters. I want to play Thomas Peters. Yeah, I get it, right? He's a he's a big hitter. He kind of hits it high, and uh, I think he's underpriced. He's won recently on the DP World Tour. I, I I think, and then you look around. I mean, he's like basically the same price as Matthew Wolf and Cam Champ and guys that. Oh, uh, uh, play. Here's a here's a tip: play Cam Champ this week. I'm playing Cam Champ. Why is that? Why not? <laughs> if course history is a real thing here, he's been good at the Masters, and just been good at the Masters, been bad everywhere else. That listen, he has like three wins on the PGA Tour. The guy can just show up at places if he can roll, and seemingly he can putt well at this course. We know he's going to be one of the leaders off the tee. You talk about Cameron Young, like Champ's legit going to be one percent owned. I'd prefer Champ over Matthew Wolf. Me too. I'll say that. <laughs> I don't know if that's going out on a limb or not. Other than that. I really, I'm going to play Higo because I promised myself I would play Garrick Higo and playing the lefty mold of a, and his game, I can't believe I said this, but I did. So I'll just say it again. I think that he's going to win a Masters in his lifetime. Oh boy. I think and, he, and you said it and you said it again I'm on say, tape just now. <laughs> I'm saying it again. So I'm, I mean, obviously I have to bet him at like 300 to one or whatever he's at. Uh, maybe a top 40 is probably a, a better bet here just to make the cut something easy like that in his first ever appearance. But the guy hits a ton off the tee. He's really good around the greens and he can putt like he has. He's like better Charles Schwartzel and he's only like 21 years old. I, I, I can get behind that. 
Yeah, I almost wish he didn't win immediately, right? I feel like it, it when when something like that happens, it it completely changes expectations for guys. And I think it was the week didn't he win? Did he win the week before the U.S. Open or the week before something? And everyone was super excited about his his uh, U.S. Open number or whatever that next major championship was. And I think he just missed the cut by about nine strokes. I, I just worry about expectations uh, and how quickly they've changed on him because I do like the raw talent for someone who has a lot of room for growth left because he is so young. I am seeing of the $9,000 range, the highest owned right now being Woodland, Herman, Na, and then Thomas Peters. Also, Bezadenhout is getting some rub here too. And that's really it. Anyone else you use is likely to be pretty low owned. Yeah, the, the, the Woodland stuff makes complete sense. He's, he's driving it long again. No problem there. We don't have to spend too much time on it. Uh, the other one I thought was kind of interesting is Sepp Straka, who hits it uh, kind of far enough. He played well after his victory at a top 10 at the players. He played all right at the match play. I wouldn't mind Straka at 6600 bucks as a pivot. I'd rather play Straka than play Woodland, who almost like Billy Horschel has been terrible at the Masters in his career. Yeah, it's so bizarre, isn't it? You'd expect him to be uh, to be better there, to kind of lean into the ball striking and the second shot, and he hits it long enough. I don't know why he hasn't been as good here. Anyone else you think we should mention from down here? You got your Guidos, your Willets. Is Mac Hughes a legitimate play at $6,300? No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, you know, he was much better a year ago and he kind of was one of these just get the ball in the cup short game specialist guys and now he's not getting the ball in the cup as well which is kind of the cheat code for him i i don't i don't think he's a reasonable play at at sixty three hundred dollars now all right i think that's it reminder to tune in tomorrow wednesday on the pat mayo experience on mayo media network live streaming on youtube myself tower tambellini in studio final picks final betting card DraftKings pivots and ownership then taking all the questions you can handle. They better be good questions, though, because if they're bad questions or I don't like you, you're getting banned for life. So be prepared for that. Rick, what do you got going on the rest of the week? How many more hours of this are you putting in? Um, <laughs> I've got a lot left because once because <laughs> once the tournament starts, I'm on CBS Sports HQ basically like every hour at the top of the hour. So I've 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 got a lot left. But I'm I, I was telling you before we went hot. I'm uh, I'm feeling good. I, I did a better job pacing myself, setting my schedule, Pat, peaking for the Masters. I, I did a better job this time around than I normally do. And I was saying yes to everything this week as I was telling you, and I got burnt out by like Tuesday afternoon. So I was considering doing a Thursday recap after the first round. I was like, you know what? I just kind of want to sit back and watch golf on Thursday. That's all I want to do all day. Thursday at the Masters, outside of probably waking up at 2 a.m. to watch the Open Championship, is my favorite sporting day of the year. I like the Thursday, the anticipation I have for this to start versus Sunday when you're like sweating bets or whatever it might be to see the conclusion. I just prefer the casual excitement that comes along with Thursday. Maybe I'm a weirdo like that, but I get so hyped for it to start and then I can't figure out where anything is and I have to go through like three different apps in order to find out where the feeds I want to watch are. Is it on this channel live? I don't know. And then I finally figure that out. I sit back. And I enjoy myself for like the next 10 hours. We will be doing the cut sweats live Friday evening with myself, Cust, and Feinberg, and anyone else who wants to join in. And a reminder to play in the gigantic one-and-done fantasygolfchampionships.com. Or just hit the link down in the description. $100 to play runs Masters through the Open Championship. $10,000 to first prize. Rick, can you help me fill this, please? Because I think they're going to be mad at me if it doesn't fill. <laughs> 
Uh, sure. Yes, I will be happy to tweet it out from my Twitter account Thank at you. Rick Run Good, and uh, maybe I'll mention it on my YouTube channel, Rick Run Good, and maybe I'll put it on RickRunGood.com for all your data needs. But yeah, no, we'll we'll get that thing. We'll get that thing filled up. I very much appreciate that. Sure. So go check out everything over at RickRunGood.com. Use all of his stats. Use everything. He pumps out the best quality content you heard it here and the rick run good youtube channel go subscribe to that if you listen to the podcast go rate and review his podcast along with the pme podcast where you can get into that draw for the master swag smash a like on the way out that'll do it for me until tomorrow i'll see you next time this is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Grainger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Grainger, for the ones who get it done.